what's going on we're finally back at it you know we're gonna keep that train rolling with kind of the fast and quick hitting picks for this uh coming card tonight but just to recap you know we were on vacation for a week so we put out the picks without really doing any breakdowns or anything and we still went eight and four bit of a vacation if you will and prior to that you know we had the Derek lewis card and with that one, as we always say, we th- kind of throw some picks to our favorite fighters. We did it once with Nate Diaz against Leon. And then with Derek Lewis and Cyril Gunn, I mean, I broke it down. Like, we knew Gunn was going to win, but I can't go against my guy Derek at all. And, you know, what could have been an 11-2 and two showing that weekend, it was a 10-3. and three. So, overall, we're sitting at 267-159-3 and three with two no contests. And, frankly, that's at about a 63% capping percentage again hitting those professional levels, just having fun doing it. So whatever you're doing with the picks, I hope you're making the most of it because let's get right into the tough finale, right? We're still going with UFC Vegas 35 featuring Edson Barbosa and Giga, Giga, Giga Chikadze. And, you know, I think this from top to bottom is a stellar card. A couple of guys I'm really excited to watch. Pat Sabatini, I think that's main card-esque type of fighter with Jamal Emmers. These are the kind of fights I'm really, really looking forward to. And, you know, let's just get right into it, man. I'm keeping the vibe of the the quick hitting. Let's see how quickly we can get this one done. But Mana Martinez and Guido Canetti at a catch rate of 140. So Guido's going to be that old school style fighter, right? I think that he's shown a lot of, you know, inability to stand with some of the best guys given the chin issues but you know dating back to 2014 is a two and four ufc fighter veteran and the losses are against pretty credible opponents right so for me that's what i'm really taking away from at least giving him an opportunity to win this fight you talk about some of the things we've seen from mana martinez i mean the draco rodriguez dana white contender series performance we didn't get to see much right took an l but Man, after that, the guy's gone 2-0 with a total cage time of about a minute and 30 seconds. Massive finishes to get him back to the big show. And this is a fight where, you know, if we don't can't really implement, say, one of those Darren Elkins-esque type of game plans, I don't think there's much of a chance for him to really stand in this one. You know, we talk about how man is a good teammate of Adrian Yanez and the boxing, the style of striking, it's just very crisp, very elite. And I think that Guido's going to have a problem with that if he cannot get this fight to the ground. And we talk about the keys, right, uh, to victory. Guido's got that 75% takedown defense and 50% takedown offense. So when I say Darren Elkins-esque, I mean it. Get him up against the fence, work for some takedowns, just keep him working outside of striking range, and you have a chance to take this fight. But given the tone of voice that I have, It'd be impossible not to give Mana the favorite here. I mean, in terms of number, I'm leaning between that minus 250, minus 290 range. I mean, I can see betters taking it a bit higher. We'll always go with some opening lines and check the current line. But I think that's got to be where it's sitting or, or where it kind of opened at least. And right now, I mean, bing, bang, boom, right? As usual, your boy hits it on. Well, close enough. I mean, Mana's open as a minus 350. Guido coming in at plus 275. And that's actually moving down for the most part. On average, you're getting Mana now at about a minus 280, minus 285, which lines up exactly where we see this fight. In terms of a parlay piece, I can see him being a pretty good candidate. Even an under in this fight seems like something to consider. I would I would look into all those little fun stuff to get the night going because uh, it's just if Mana has his way, it's very clean cut going to be something where he, he's going to be able to finish this fight if, if the opportunity comes up.
And now we get right into the fight that I was talking about just now, right? We got the Jamal Emmers and the Pat Sabatini fight. You know, I'll always remember Pat Sabatini for his CFFC uh, highlight of where his arm broke and he was just trying to play it off like nothing happened, but the referee definitely saw it and ended the fight. But this is where we talk about that grappling style combo. Like the way that he fights is just something that really, really makes you kind of think about where wrestling should be going in MMA, right? He's got that really crisp style of Sambo mixed with wrestling and such good grappling. The guy's a black belt under Daniel Gracie in BJJ. So you can really see in his fights where he wants the fight to go. And he's starting to get the striking to set everything up. You know, that's what I really, really like about him. And in this fight, the keys are very simple, right? Use the movement to set up those level changes and start to get the fight where you need it to go. I mean, the thing about Jamal Emmers, he's an underrated wrestler, kind of started in this whole combat sports game with the wrestling, but he looked really good as a striker against Giga Jakadze. Now, We'll get into Giga a little bit out of this fight later, but that split decision was very much a telling of how good Jamal Emers can be late in fights. The cardio's there. The combos, my God. The combos that he's able to set up. The jab is very good. These are the things that you want to see in a fight against the guy like Pat Sabatini. Because if Pat can't really execute much early, where maybe you're taking away some of the energy that he does have, make him work the grappling, make him work up against the fence, because... If you just stand and strike with Jamal, it seems like he's able to go three rounds, no problem. With guys like Chikadze, who's getting main event uh, fights against Edson Barbosas. So that's where I really believe that Jamal has a great chance of pulling this fight up. I think this fight's actually pretty close. Great example of striker versus grappler. But, you know, like I said, you know, Jamal started his career in, in that wrestling realm of things and kind of moved on from there. And so... I think that the BJJ Brown belt here is going to be something that comes in handy for him. And it's going to be keeping things on the feet. That's where he wants it. Use that back on wrestling. They just keep the fight standing. Use that Brown belt to just avoid any big submissions. And if this fight stays standing, I think he's got a great chance. So, for me, I'm going to lean Pat Sabatina as a favorite. Nothing more than minus 140, minus 150. I just think that you've seen enough from Jamal Emers to give him an opportunity to win this fight, and especially from a defensive perspective to avoid the things that Pat's really, really good at. So let's take a look. I mean, come on, guys. Haven't lost a beat. So Jamal Emers opens as a minus 170, Pat minus 103. That's a pick him to me in the fight game, and Jamal is actually pretty much smack dab between that minus 135 and minus 155 range. Most places offering at the minus 150. So I really like him as a striker. You know, I got the line split. Pat Sabatini plus 120 dog right now on average. And I think there's something to consider there. The length will be a problem. I think Emers is going to be able to fight at that distance and keep it going for him. But I was leaning Jamal Emers as a dog pick in this card. but. You know, it looks like he's getting all the bump he needs. So that's probably a just, you know, stay back and watch because I think that fight's going to be elite and it's going to be fun as hell. And it probably should have been on the main card. All right. Well, that takes us right into JJ Aldrich and Vanessa Demopoulos. Now, I've gotten into Vanessa Demopoulos quite a bit in the past, and I really just see a Good grappler who's trying everything she can to catch up with the striking, be as good on her feet as kind of some of her opponents are. And I think that's where she struggled in the past. She lost her belt the first time around in, in a very, um, you know, heartbreaking way for her. And I think that for 
her to make the comeback that she has to get the belt in LFA before making the jump after the Dana White Contender Series loss. These are the things that I really like to see from her. I think that the striking is always going to be the thing in question. And frankly, JJ is actually a really good Muay Thai fighter with a Taekwondo background and is going to have significant length in this fight. So for me, I, it's just really hard for me to stay away from JJ in this one because you talk about the level of competition that she's fought, just the amount of time she spent in the cage with such good fighters. And her brown belt and BJJ again, man, we're seeing how a lot of these fighters who, who just require certain things defensively to keep them in fights. I mean, JJ's going to be the better striker. I'd be shocked if she wasn't. And She's got enough to maybe keep this fight away from the areas that Vanessa is very, very successful in. And for Vanessa, it's going to be about getting past the combos, keeping that confidence. And instead of trying to get into these brawling situations, use a lot of these level changes. Use some feints to get into different areas where you can push it up against the fence. Get JJ in uncomfortable positions, especially off her back. You know, I think those are the areas where Vanessa has to get the fight to find any success. And so... When you're talking about lines, let alone this being a short notice fight, I think I got to give JJ a favorite and I got to put her somewhere between that minus 185 and minus 225 range. I just can't see her being anything less than that because where Vanessa has struggled in the past now taking a fight on short notice, I mean, JJ's just, she's, she's a weld old machine for those areas of the fight. And I think it's going to be something for her to really prove. And we look at the line. I mean, there you go. So the line opened exactly where I thought it would be at the minus 220 range for JJ Demopolis at that plus 185. But this shot completely out of hand. I wish I got a look at this a little earlier. Minus 450 on average for JJ across the board with Vanessa, you know, getting lines at that plus 325, plus 350. Some people try to screw you over with a plus 300, but on average, you can pretty much see where that fight is going. And so like we said, Vanessa has to really, really kind of pull one out of the hat to make something happen in this one, but it's the fight game and anything's possible, right? With that said, Dustin Jacoby and Darren Stewart. Now, what I like about this fight is Dustin Jacoby. I, I've been using this term COVID fighters, right? Jerome Rivera will always be my example for the uh, bottom floor level of the COVID fighters that made their way into the UFC because of just the need of filling fights. But Jacoby really has come onto the scene in a big way. Just dismantled Ty Flores on the Dana White Contender Series showing. And then ripped off a bunch of wins in the UFC, right? I think the Ian Kutelaba one, we have, you know, a, an interesting, you know, duel there. I'm really hoping that we might be able to see these guys rematch down the line, but he gets a pretty interesting fight against a guy like Darren Stewart, who very, you know, silently has become such a big UFC vet. You go through his record, you see the guys he's fought. Very impressive record just from a experience and quality of opponent standpoint, but he has struggled to find consistency at the UFC level. And I think this is a fight where if he's going to get into a stand and trading battle, Jacoby's going to have his number, man. He's a great kickboxer, came out of that glory stint. And he's got the length here too. So Jacoby's going to be that bigger style of fighter, right? I think that he's got that middleweight, light heavyweight look, whereas Darren Stewart moving up any higher would be a little bit, you know, far-fetched compared to a guy like, you know, Justin, Dustin Jacoby, who can wear it a bit better in terms of weight. And so technical striker right 2-0-1 right now in the UFC since the Dana White Contender Series and I think that that's where 
He's going to try to keep the fight, right? Distance striking, a lot of the jabs, a lot of the kicks, keep working in those combinations. And the thing with Darren Stewart that we're finding is he actually gets into those grinding areas and can't seem to find himself any opportune positions or, or chances to find offense. And I think in this case, maybe he flips the script. Maybe he tries to get this fight up against the feds, try to get it to the ground a little bit, because I do believe that Dustin Jacoby is just such a good striker that if I'm going into this fight, even as a Darren Stewart, who can definitely stand my ground as a striker, I think it would be interesting to see what would happen if you have confidence in that clinch work, have confidence in some wrestling and get the fight to the ground and just get some control time under your belt. Get some of those moments that make you feel like you're winning a fight because that's going to help in something that seems so close on paper, especially when Dustin's such a good technical striker. The thing with Darren is we want him to kind of manage the gas tank, throw strikes when the most opportune. I think with Eric Anders, you saw him very much get dominated in that rematch in a way where you kind of saw it happening in the first fight, right? So with this one, I'm going to lean Dustin Jacoby as a favorite. I just think that if this fight stays standing, which there's a very good chance it does, he's just a better striker overall. And so I'm going to lean with a line of about minus 130, minus 140. I think that Darren has a chance as a striker and could maybe surprise with some of the clinch work and get some control time under his belt to just steal the judges a bit. So let's take a look. I mean, I was pretty far off, I'm going to say, just in terms of a, a range, give or take, of minus 25 to minus 50, plus or minus, I guess. But minus 175 opener for Jacoby, now sitting at about a minus 200 across the board. I still think that's a good line for him because of how much this fight has a chance to stay standing. But with... Darren Stewart being the kind of fighter that he is, has the opportunity to take things in different areas. If he has the gas tank to go three rounds, I think that this could be a very close fight, which makes this line a little preposterous. So open as a plus 150, now looking around that plus 160 range. So if you're a big Darren Stewart fan, I mean, I think he got some good value there to kind of lay some money and root for your boy. But for me, I mean, I, I'm still on the fence, but in terms of a pick, I'm going to go with Dustin Jacoby. And just to reiterate for picks overall, we went... Mana Martinez, we went Jamal Emmers, we went JJ Aldrich, and we went Dustin Jacoby so far. And now we get into a fight like Sam Alvey and Wellington Terman. You know, the, the, the interesting thing about this fight for me is I'm so curious where the line is because Sam Alvey's the kind of guy where I just don't think the UFC's ever going to cut him. Such a fan favorite, such a company favorite, I feel. And, you know, they're going to give him every opportunity to just put on fun fights. He's always exciting. Even in his losses, you know, the submission loss of Julian Marquez, you know, I think Marquez is just on a, on a different path. I, I think he's very much kind of reawoken as, as an overall fighter and, and then is finding a, a resurgence in a big way. But for Sam, the Dalong Jung draw, these are all fights where he's had such a good opportunity to win, right? And in this fight, you kind of have to laugh at the fact that he's getting a guy who's coming off two KO wins in quick, quick fashion, you know? But here's the interesting thing. We know about Sam Alvey and that left hand, the southpaw stance. And the cool thing about this fight is, well, determined. the last time he even fought a southpaw was Carl Robertson in his debut. And if you go look at the fight, I mean, the guy came away with a split draw loss, was his debut against a ranked fighter, in the division. So for me, I'm really interested to see where this kind of goes because you have to assume that everybody's now, you know, finally going to be on the Sam Alvey train and think he's got an opportunity to finish a guy for three times in a row. But, you know, it's, it's, I'm curious to see if, if Wellington has more of a, you know, 
style issue with strikers. You know, this is a fighter that definitely wants to find his fight to the ground. I think that his 100% takedown defense is important here because if he even finds success up against the fence, if he's able to get Sam Alvey tired, you know, use the leg kicks, take away the power. Don't let him walk so easily. We've seen some leg kicks from Wellington in the past, and I think this is a fight where it will be absolutely opportune for him to throw some of those. And you talk about some of the finishes, right? I really think that if he can keep his hands up, keep the distance, don't get so excited. I mean, the end of the day, you're fighting pretty good strikers at this level. And if you're just not up to par, you have to incorporate that into your game plan. I think that this is a fight where he just needs to be smarter. I think that if you really analyze how much it just comes down to kind of taking a step back watching the punches, taking his time. You got three rounds, man. Even if you, if the first rounds of feel him out, who cares if you're getting booed, get yourself in the groove to be able to kind of carry over a little bit, because, you know, I have to say it three straight losses, especially via, you know, crazy finish. I, I would really be, you know, surprised to, to see him back for a fourth fight in a row, but Sam looking for that finish, going to use that heart, going to use that grit, because for me, if this fight goes late, I mean, I think it's going to be hella exciting. And I think the better word is fun. I think that these guys are going to be able to throw down quite a bit. But, you know, if if Wellington's not able to slow him down, I think the power is going to be there for all three rounds. And the chin is susceptible to power no matter what. So in terms of favorite, I got to go with Sal Malvi just from a Vegas perspective. It's just why wouldn't you give him a bit of bump knowing how powerful he is, knowing that he's always been able to stay in fights for the most part against the guy who's still kind of proving himself still kind of young and just took two brutal knockouts at the UFC level. So I'm going with Sam at a minus 120, minus 125. I just don't see it being any more than that. If anything, this fight should be a pick em. It just it wouldn't make sense for it to be any other way. So let's take a look. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think that Wellington's actually the favorite you know, he's, he opened as a minus 129, not much line movement. Some places are trying to cheat you into a minus 140 line, avoid that at all costs. But Sal Mavi plus 109 opener, plus 110 in some places. Uh, I mean, I think that the under in this fight is something to consider. I think that there's an opportunity for a finish. But again, Terman needs to utilize that ground game, utilize some of the grappling that, he, that he's been able to showcase in the past just to keep himself in the fight. I think for me, it's just really, really troublesome and scary to think of a fighter that has to kind of go in there and just last against, you know, a third straight fighter who, who does have power in his hands. So keep it locked for that one. I think it's going to be interesting. I I'm going to be leaning Sam Alvey as my pick right now. Don't forget to check the graphic on Twitter and Instagram for the final picks, but right now I'm leaning Sam. I just think the chin is very, very scary. And his, his, his body of work, win or lose, is just too hard to pass up right now. All right. Here's a fighter that I love and hate to talk about. You know, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, I mean, he's put on such great performances, and then he's also struggled, right? We talk about the guys like Alessio DiCurico, who, great counter-striker, has put on a show against the guy like Joaquin Buckley, who everybody was expecting to, you know, blow up right away after some of the things he's done, especially that Impa and I fight. But, you know, for me, the Alessio most recent memory will always be the Dana White uh, clip of, what the hell was wrong with that guy? I don't think they knew they won. You know, that clip of the post-fight presser after that happened because he didn't want to, you know, sit through a media scrum after winning because they didn't 
interview losers. And maybe it was because he was coming off the three losses. I'm not so sure. Maybe he had something to say at that point. But now we get him back in the octagon, headlining the prelim card against a guy like Abdul Razak Hassan. So for me, I think the you know, take away the striking, say it was null and void. I think the, the area where Alessio is going to pretty much have his way is going to be with the takedowns. I think he's got an underrated grappling game. He's got pretty good trips and, and sweeps, things like that. And the thing with Al-Hassan is he's very top heavy. so unless he can land big power punches early, he just hasn't been able to stay disciplined and avoid kind of draining out his cardio, especially when he has to work up from his back or get off the fence. And in this case, I think it's going to be some of the same stuff because Alessio is a great counter striker. I think he's going to be able to avoid some of the power, just like he did against Buckley and then find his opportunity to not only land his own strikes, but if he can't finish, get this fight to the ground. I think that if the power isn't there for either guy, it's just, you have to give Alessio the credit, especially late in this fight, given the grappling pedigree, giving his ability to maybe overpower him from a cardio perspective, because uh, Alessandro just hasn't given us anything to really get excited about. I think that the um, chaos loss was one where you just saw a fighter kind of, you know, that was a, that was a, that was a cross right through the guard while he was throwing a leg kick. It was just a little sloppy and, I've always felt bad for him after that fight because I think that he's a lot better than that showed. And we're kind of all hoping that, you know, the Jake and Malcolm fights and things like that. It's just, unfortunately, things are not going the right way for him. And in this fight, I really do think Alessio has an opportunity to dominate. I'm going to give Alessio the favorite. I'm going to give him my pick and I'm going to give him a line of minus 160, minus 170. I just think that there's too many areas that he's really good at. And we're seeing a bit of a resurgence with him too, right? I think he looked good athletically in that fight against Joaquin Buckley. And his poise and his ability to, to, to utilize his experience and just everything he's put together as a mixed martial artist has proven to be very, very good for him. So let's take a look at the line. Boom. Another one I wish I got on earlier. Alessio coming in as a minus 155 opener. Alassane plus 125 dog. Now you can get him at about a plus 200, uh, plus 215 in some places. But, you know, DiCarico now coming in as a minus 250 across the board. You know, some places minus 240 if you can find it. But looks like he's about a minus 250, even some minus 255. So it puts in perspective why people are feeling the way they do. I think the uh, book is out on Al-Hassan right now, unless you see revolutionary changes uh, in his game. It's definitely something to, to keep an eye on for this one. And so uh, I'm giving the edge to Alessio. And now we get right into the main card. You know, Mahmoud Muradov is one of my favorite up-and-coming fighters. I think that his athleticism, his kickboxing style, his ability to strike both in close as a Muay Thai fighter and as a kickboxer is phenomenal. And just, yeah, like I said, man, the overall athleticism, the guy looks phenomenal <laughs> as a striker and he's just in great shape. And the thing about Gerald Mearshart is, is that... I think that he's a lot better than people are giving him credit for. Recency bias hasn't affected anyone more, in my opinion. You look at his body of work prior to the Bartosz Fabinski fight. I think it was Bartosz Fabinski. Uh, yes, it was. Um, you just saw him take on a fight against a guy like Kamzat, who everybody just wanted to do well. You know, everybody was on that high horse. And unfortunately, given the, you know, the preamble and all the talking, he kind of just bit a bullet there for, for, for all the wrong reasons. But outside of that, man, I think the career speaks volumes. I think that he's done very well in the UFC. And, and like I said, just came off a great win. And Darren Wynn is another guy. Like 
his grappling is UFC caliber level. You know, I think that against certain strikers, he's struggled in the past. And that's where I, I really believe in this fight, it's going to be a problem. I don't think it's going to be as easy to get him, uh, get Murad off to the ground. And I think that he's going to be dealing with a lot of great combos, a lot of power shots that will beat him up, will slow him down. And the thing with uh, Mirshard is I find that he's going to get a little bit more desperate for the takedowns. I think that he's going to have the advantage on the ground. I think that he has all the ability in the world to, to make this a fight. But at the same time, you look at what Muradov has put together after that really long hiatus in 2020, and you just see you know such elite potential in him. And it's just very difficult for me to see you know, a guy who's 3-0 in the UFC, hasn't lost since 2016 and is such a good striker, lose to a guy who I believe has those issues against fighters exactly like this and kind of has more of a chance against guys who might not be such great strikers and, and also uh, have a working ground game. So I'm going to go Muradov. And of all the fighters, it'd be shocking, not from a Vegas perspective. I mean, I don't believe that it should be this bad, but a minus 400, in my opinion, a minus 300 for Muradov makes sense here. I think that Mirshard does get terrible recency bias in his betting lines. And so let's take a look right now. Yeah, so that's a bit ridiculous, right? So minus 350 opener for Muradov, minus 650 right now. And it looks like some places are very reluctant to go to the minus 700 range with the minus 699 line. But Gerald Mearshart, I mean, if you're a fan, today's the day, boys, because, and girls, plus 260 opener, plus 450 on some sites. You can even get about plus 475 right now if you're feeling that. And I really believe if this fight goes long, that's where he kind of finds his success as a grappler. So keep an eye on those live lines because there might be a really good opportunity to feast with Gerald. All right, so... You know, this is a, a an interesting fight, in my opinion, for the main card. But I think it's one of those ones where you just have the opportunity to make a name for guys like Andre Petrosky, who's an exciting grappler, and a guy like Michael Gilmore. So, grappler versus striker, in my opinion. Gilmore comes with a, with a karate background. Funny enough, I think he's got a... Uh, uh, an amateur win over chaos Williams, And now they're actually good buddies and training partners. And so you can kind of automatically assume the style of fighter you're getting. He's going to be fairly technical on the feet, going to be looking for his opportunities to land big shots. But I really think that this is going to be a tough fight for him because if you look at the way Petrosky fought in that semifinal on tough, you know, that purple belt in BJJ really came in handy for him. I think that he was a little indisciplined with his neck and gave it up pretty quickly. Uh, but outside of that, it was a great fight. You know, the, the headbutt or all that controversial stuff that happened in the fight was something else to kind of witness. But he was a good grappler when the fight got up against the fence or when he was able to grab a single leg, he was able to get the fight to the ground. And I think that when, when, he, when he has to climb and work up the body and get it close to the fence, like those are the areas where he really, really succeeds. And the thing with Gilmore is he's actually struggled quite a bit against submission artists. In fact, his losses come against pretty good submission guys. And, and his body of work and just his overall experience is still so limited that when you talk about what Petrosi's been through, just came out of what uh, an entire season of training with absolute sharks, right? In terms of camps, you got the Ortegas and the Volkanovskis and, and all of that kind of aura over the last like year is just pretty insane to me. So for me, I have to lean Petrosky here and I have to give him a pretty good line. You know, I'm going to go with something around that minus 200 range. I think that this is a fight where he should be able to do some serious damage on the ground. And 
I just don't see huge threats on the feet for him to be very, very worried. I mean, his chin looked good in the last fight. So outside of that, man, if, if this fight stays standing, I'm sure it'll be a lot closer, but I see him being able to work in some wrestling, get it to the ground and just maybe even grind out a fight. So we're going with minus 200. Let's take a look at the, whoa. Okay, so I was way off. Petrovsky actually opened as a minus 465, and there is no movement going one way. It's going all the other way. So minus 600, minus 550, all over the place. And Gilmore comes in as a plus 370 dog. And on average, he's pretty much moved up to that plus 400 range already. It's pretty much written in stone there. I think that that one is a Petrovsky confident pick. Again, it's going to be one of those MMA upsets, which we're all happy to see for any fighter, right? Like that's what this game's all about. So I just think it's, it's, it's just a tough mountain to climb right now, especially given the the trajectory and just all of the momentum, motivation that Petrosky has kind of going into this fight. All right, time for my fight of the night. You know, we have Kevin Lee against D-Rod, and I think that this is going to be a fight where I automatically assume that my man D-Rod is going to be underrated here. Kevin Lee, my favorite fight of his will always be the Gregor Gillespie fight because it was it was one where people really thought that he was going to struggle, and it was this ground game, and we saw how good Gillespie can be when, it, when it, he kind of has to roll with you and do all those fun things, but... He knocked the shit out of him. Like, it was an absolutely beautiful fight. And Kevin Lee has struggled against a lot of good fighters. And that kind of takes me to my big point here. When you talk about, you know, if I'm going to be a guy that promotes so much about, you know, experience and just the body of work that you've put together and wins and losses, Kevin Lee's is actually phenomenal, right? But he moves up to welterweight. And funny enough, I think that he's dealing with a guy who could probably pass for a middleweight walking around, right? D-Rod is very much a big, big welterweight. You saw it against Mike Perry. Uh, Mike Perry's the kind of guy that he's short, but he's stocky. And I really think this is a tough fight for Kevin Lee. I, if you look at the the game plans to kind of follow keys to victory for him, I think it's going to use a lot of kicks, right? If you want to use kicks, use some grappling, use the wrestling, get the fight close. I don't think you want to be in striking distance with D-Rod. The boxing is there. And, you know, the Dolby fight will always ring true to me. Like, what the hell was that? That's a D-Rod dub, in my opinion. But how did he, you know, aesthetically make himself look like the winner? A lot of big kicks, a lot of power shots, kept his distance as much as he could. But in Kevin Lee's case, I think he's got great kicks, but then he's also got this pedigree of maybe if you can walk through some punches, get the fight to the ground, implement some of that style. Because I think D-Rod has shown an incredible gas tank for three rounds, and so... If he's going to stand and bang with him, I just think that the length, the size, all of that kind of stuff is going to be a problem for Kevin. Whereas he can get in the, get in close, get in his face, find those areas to just grapple, make him work. That's going to aesthetically make him look like the winner anyway, whether he wins the stand up battle or not. So for me, as much as I like D Rod in this fight, and I'm going to pick D Rod, and I'm going to say he's the favorite. I, I really believe that Kevin Lee deserves that, that, that bump. You know, he, he is that elite fighter. And as much as I wanted to see him fight Fiziev, you know, Fiziev got a great opportunity against um, Green and made the most of it. It was a beautiful fight to watch. And so I'm going with Kevin Lee as the betting favorite, but I'm going to pick uh, D-Rod to win this fight. I'm going to give him a line of close to a pick. I'm going to say max 140 minus 150 for Kevin Lee. I think that I can even come down a bit, but let's take a look here. Kevin Lee minus 130 opener now sitting about a minus 145 minus 150. I'm happy I waited on that line because I think if it was a plus 110 or anything like that, it'd be hard for me to bet on D-Rod. But I, I do think this is a fight where 
once he gets past the first round, I think that Kevin Lee from, you know, from a damage perspective, from even the wear and tear, D-Rod's looked pretty good, man. And athletically, he's just getting better and better and better. So I'm going to lean D-Rod for the pick. Obviously, understand why Kevin Lee's the favorite, but, you know, it's just, that's the fight of the night, folks. It really, really is. All right. Now we get into the tough finals, right? First off, we have... You know, what I like to call the firefighter versus the absolute brawler, right? You talk about Heastan and what he's brought to the tough season. I mean, all of this, you know, Spokane, Washington, you know, you got the Chiesas. And, you know, I also just love what's been happening out of that camp because all of these guys are finding success. You got the McKinney knockout, just, just this, such a good group of guys to find success. And you watch the workouts that he's doing with his firefighter buddies. And it's just such a good story. Right. And so you talk about the analysis of this fight, Ricky Tercios. I mean, if there's one thing I loved about him and just one thing I loved about this show in general, the Alex Moreno storyline of just how that's his big brother and just how much they've, you know, done together coming into this fight game, coming into the UFC together. Uh, both of these guys are going to be under contract with the UFC. That's my honest opinion here, but I just don't, I don't know about his wild style of striking. You think about the way Morono fought uh, Anthony Pettis. That was a lot more technical. You look at the way Morono fight his old fights, a lot more loopier. And I think that's where, I think that Ricky's got an amazing gas tank. He's got combos for days. But the thing about this fight is just how good Brady looks technically. I think that he's going to be able to avoid a lot of the loopy type of shots and also take advantage of just the rushing in. I think that Ricky's footwork is very much a push. Like you look at the way some guys fight like a Max Holloway and the way they switch stance and the way they're able to fill shots and, you know, Shane Burgos, Edson Barbosa, like the way these guys flow, <laughs> Cyril God, uh, it's that's the footwork that I really like to see. You look at the way Ricky fights, it's a lot more running and running out. It's a lot more side to side running and it's a lot more just loopy and just craziness. And I think that Brady's style of fighting can very much read into that. He's got poise. He's got patience. And I think that you just don't see that much power from Ricky. And so there's just not much for Brady to be worried about other than getting by these shots, using a footwork to find takedowns. Because, I mean, if you have to grind out a, a three round wrestling match to win the tough finale, so be it. I think that he's got pretty good strike in his showcase. You know, you just talk about the way he defeated um, a, a big fan favorite in Vince Murdoch, AKA, you know, little Cody. Uh, that was a, a, just a grappling clinic where he was able to just finish with ground and pound. And it's just, it's hard for me not to see this fight going in a similar way outside of Ricky, just being such a gamer and being able to take a beating and working those elbows from the bottom. It's, it, I do think this is just the way more exciting tough finale fight. I wish it was the next fight to, you know, heading into Edson, but Outside of that, I just I, I am going to lean Heaston. I, I just think he's got the tools to take on a guy like Ricky, who's just going to be a lot more loopier. So let's take a look at the lines. Wow, Brady's the dog. So he opened as a plus one forty underdog, and Tercios is actually coming in as a minus one seventy favorite. Now getting lower to about a minus one fifty area, but. Now you can see why, you know, the strikers and, and the guys who have the volume and the gas tank and the cardio, why they get so much bump because they're exciting and they able, they're able to show that they can keep themselves in a fight. But 
That's the thing about MMA. If it was a boxing fight, different story. But I think that Brady has the ability to just avoid the big shots and get this fight to the ground and hold him there. I think that's how good his, his wrestling and his ground game has looked so far, just the grappling overall. So I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be a fun fight and it takes us right into the middleweight finale. You know, Brian battle takes on Gilbert Urbina. Now Urbina steps in for a guy like Gore, who everyone got so excited about, but Treshawn ends up pulling out, which gives Gilbert Urbina uh, the opportunity of a lifetime after getting pretty much knocked out uh, clean by Gord. Even in the first round, you saw him kind of get rattled pretty easily by those strikes. So this is actually a much more even fight. It's almost like I think Gore could have easily walked away with this, in my personal opinion. Just the speed of his striking, the, the crispness of how he flows with strikes. It's it's not loopy. Everything's thrown with intent. And in this case, I mean, here, do me a favor and count the amount of front kicks you see in this fight. I can almost guarantee both guys are going to throw a stupid amount of front kicks because it's a lot of feeling out process for both these guys. And they kind of counter after getting hit. You know, you look at the Urbina fight, just hit, boom, hit, boom. And sooner or later, you're going to get hit and there's no boom. You know, that's kind of how I found that fight going in his semis. But Brian Battle, we kind of touched on it earlier with uh, his opponent in the semis, right? He, he kind of got out grappled a little bit. And for me, I, I was excited to see him, you know, have that resilience and, and find ways to win. But if Urbina is able to avoid, you know, keeping his neck out there and keeping his limbs enclosed and just avoiding a lot of those areas where a guy might be able to steal a submission win, battles an interesting case here for being maybe a guy that's a little bit more hyped than he should be. I think he's got an amazing personality. I think that he's earned the opportunity to be in this finale more than most, but styles make fights, man. And I just think that Urbina will do pretty poorly against a very powerful and elite style striker. But I think in this case, he might have the dog in him to keep himself in the fight and be potentially the better striker. So if this fight goes to the ground or if the, the, the indisciplinous of Urbina gets in the way battle can definitely lock up a submission here, but outside of that, I mean, I think it's a pretty close fight. So I'm going to give battle the edge only because the, the, the Vegas thought process of a guy who just got knocked out in the semis, getting the opportunity to go fight in the finals versus a guy who's been fairly dominant, has that personality and is really looking like a winner. I'm going to give a line of about minus 190, minus 200 for battle. I think that he's earned that um, aesthetically and uh, his record on tough. And let's take a look. I, I mean, I'm throwing uh, darts at this one because of just the, the concept that's been kind of brought up with this fight, given the fact that, you know, um, Gore had to pull out. So Brian Battle, minus 182 opener, kind of hovering around that area. Again, some people try to cheat you with that minus 170, minus 175. Mind you, this is all the same sites that, that I'm telling you. So hopefully you avoid those numbers if you're seeing them because you can get a lot of these numbers at, at the prices I'm kind of telling you right now. And you know, Urbina plus 138 opener, plus 160 in some places, but on average about a plus 140 overall. But <clears throat> underrated fight, I think there's a lot to th consider fun heading into this main event because these are the guys you want to see kind of make their name as the UFC fighters, and I'm excited for it. And now the main event, guys. Edson Barbosa and Giga Chikadze. Now, funny enough, I'm not going to get too detailed into this because I think that there's just very specific points that I want to bring up. And I'm going to tell you my pick first. Edson Barbosa is hard to pick against in this spot. Recency bias versus 
tale of, you know, a long tape, right? I think that Edson struggles against great kickboxers and very, very technical strikers like the Dan Ige's, the Paul Felders of the world, you know, the Khabib finish, for example. Like, like these are just areas where I just, he's fought the elite, the elite of the elite. You know, Kevin Lee with that finish, like, these are just guys, sorry, Khabib never finished him, just a very dominant performance. Uh, but those are the areas where I just think that, it's just a very, very tough fight for Giga. Now, where do who has promoted Giga more than me? Giga, Giga, Giga. But this is Edson Barbosa. Now, Giga Chikadze has two examples of where he's had to go the distance with with pretty good strikers. Well, let's not call them strikers. Pretty good MMA fighters that are able to stay in fights and then implement a game plan late. You talk about his Dana White Contender Series fight. Just exploded out the gate, then basically just got overrun towards the end of the fight then you talk about the fight against sorry i'm going to pull it up here because i want to make a mistake yes so after beating brandon davis the jamal emmers fight we just talked about it but jamal emmers really put on a show towards the end of that fight and how did that happen he did not get scared of anything that he could throw now mind you giga's improvements since that Jamal Emmer's fight over the course of 2020 is insane. Omar Morales was a tough fight for anybody on the planet, and he came out of that looking pretty good. Then he finished Jamie Simmons and Cub Swanson in the first round. So from a, from a game plan perspective, all of this looks like Giga's just in the right place right now for an Edson Barbosa fight. But we just talked about the guys that Edson's already fought, the, the looks that he's gotten. And the Edson we saw fight Shane Burgos was very elite. And it looks like the best Edson we've seen so far, which is kind of hilarious to say. But you look at Giga's recency bias, you know, the two fights there, Cub Swanson, definitely the tail end of his career against the guy who, who definitely stacks up well. So it's almost like, is Giga Chikadze a top, 10 or 15 featherweight, 100%. Is he a top five featherweight? That's what we're about to find out because I think Edson Barbosa is very much starting to approach that title contention area and has looked the part. So for me, the way Giga moves, the way he switches stance, it's just, I don't think he's as good of a kickboxer that Edson Barbosa's already seen where he won't be able to kind of read into this. Now, if he's able to deliver some of those deadly leg kicks early on, I think he's going to be able to chop up Giga to the point where a lot of the power is going to dissipate and Edson can box and kickbox for three rounds, five rounds, no problem. Now, where do we see the problem with Giga? That gas tank, man. If he can't go the five rounds, this is a problem fight. So I'm leaning Edson for the pick. I'm probably picking Edson 100%. As for the odds, I want to give this a pick up, man. I just, it's hard for me to see the public and Vegas not giving Giga the credit he deserves for the 2020 that he's had. But Edson Barbosa is having a 2021 to remember. And frankly, he's had a career to remember that should give him enough bump to not only merit a pick and blind, but definitely enough bump to win this fight. So let's take a look. Edson opens the minus 105 underdog technically with Giga coming at minus 125. But this evened out to exactly the areas that I was saying. Edson's now about that minus 120, minus 115, whereas Giga is now coming at about a minus 105, minus 110, with some places actually offering a plus money now, about a plus 105, plus 110, but nothing higher than that. So those are the fights. So happy that we were able to go through a vacation period and still come out so good with our record. As always, videos are going to be up on YouTube. Picks are going to be up on Instagram and Twitter. So... 
Till next time, peace.